This is an ABC podcast. G'day, this is Anne Jones and you're listening to Off Track. Now, I'm not the only person who is obsessed with the sounds of nature. Chris Watson is a wildlife sound recordist and he recently made a four-part series for the BBC program, The Compass. In the series, he travels around the world and brings you a guide to the sounds of the places that he visits. So, sort of, exactly like off track. We're bringing you one of his programs today from another Commonwealth country, India. It's probably the most beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. Because you don't hear it always. This tiger is normally a very silent predator. And you can be out one evening and you hear this amazing roar, which is like, and it echoes off the hills, it echoes in the valley, and it goes on calling, announcing its presence. The world as you've never heard it before. My name is Chris Watson. I'm a wildlife sound recordist, and in this series, we're tuning into the sounds of four very different global habitats. The plains, the desert, the mountains, and the forest, and exploring the relationships between these soundscapes, the people, and the wildlife. In this, the last of four programs, we're going to immerse ourselves in the sounds of the forest. Our destination is Corbett National Park in northern India, where I went hoping to record the roar of a tiger. Valmik Tapar, who we heard at the start of this program, describes his life as being completely entangled with tigers. He spent more than 40 years as a naturalist and conservationist working with wild tigers, and his first encounter was in Corbett National Park. We'd gone on a family trip and in those days you went on elephant back through high grass looking for tigers. I was sitting on one of the elephants and we flushed out a tigress with two cubs. I was about eight, nine years old. And I remember her looking up at me and snarling because she felt totally disturbed by these eight or ten elephants going through high grass in Corbett. I was eight, nine years old, but I think even now I'm turning 66. The feelings always remain the same when you see a tiger. It's mesmeric. It is a feeling of being timeless. And sometimes you have to rub your eyes to really believe that you're looking at a tiger because it is a kind of spirit of the forest that comes with this formidable power and beauty. And it overwhelms you. So. I think that's what happened then and that's what happens now. And that's what links me to my life. It's 6.30 in the morning. It's still really bitingly cold, although it's beautifully still and calm. And the sun's just starting to break over the wooded hills. And we're on the road outside a very impressive set of green metal gates, which is still locked. And we're waiting to be allowed in so we can present our passes and enter the Corbett Tiger Reserve. 
Corbett Tiger Reserve lies at the heart of Corbett National Park, which was established in 1936 as Asia's first national park. It stretches over 1,300 square kilometres in the foothills of the Himalayas in the state of Uttarakhand. The park is named after Edward James Corbett, better known as Jim Corbett. Author of Man-Eaters of Kumon, Corbett spent many years shooting tigers and leopards before concern about their future and that of the habitat led him to playing a key role in establishing the national park. Today, the park is home to a rich and diverse range of wildlife, including more than 200 Bengal tigers. Well, we're through the gates. We're inside the park, getting our first views of the landscape from the back of an open-sided jeep as we bounce down these really rough tracks. I'm driving alongside a dried-up riverbed which still has a small trickle of a stream down the centre and three, four hundred metres across on the other side are some really impressive hills, steeply sided and densely wooded. Beautiful colours, dark greens, burnished golds and browns as the canopy is struck by this early morning sunlight. As a wildlife sound recordist from northeast England, I was immediately excited by the range of new sounds I could hear. And these would also have been familiar to Anju Runjun, who grew up on the edge of the forest. Although today she lives in Edinburgh in Scotland, where she is Consul General of India. As Anju explains, the soundscape of Corbett changes throughout the day. Different birds will be chirping at the different times in the forest. For example, in the morning, we call it early birds are like chirping, sparrow, then goreya, hummingbirds, they are chirping in the morning and they are like telling you that, okay, now you wake up. Uh, during the, like, you know, daytime, they'll never chirp. They'll, they, they are busy in like, you know, going and then uh, collecting food for themselves. In the afternoon, like in the summer, when the sound, you see the forest is also like, you know, breathing. You can hear the breathe of the forest. Quiet, calm environment. Then there's some other birds will chirp. We call them pandu. They are looking for the partner at that time. In the evening, again, different birds. They are like, you know, calling their friends. Now it's time to go back home. So please come over. Their children, like, you know, those who are waiting in the nest, they also make sound. Oh, mama, where are you? I'm hungry. Please bring the food. So it's a different sound. It's a different time. And those who are living in the forest, those who are living in that area, they are very familiar with that. They know that what is happening, who is speaking, something like that. But of course, the animal that everyone hopes to see here is the tiger. Each day a group of us travelled in an open-sided jeep with a guide. The guides are skilled trackers who have seen tigers on many occasions. But as Ritesh, Suri and Vrushal told me, your first sighting of a tiger is very special. The first time I saw a tiger was right here in Corbett. And uh, it was, I think, the, the biggest rush that I've ever had. It just uh, amazes you, the animal. So I saw my first tiger in a central Indian park called Paints National Park. It was late evening, we were just coming out of the park and there was this beautiful tiger just walking on the road head on towards our vehicle. It was very calm, you have that rush of blood, you are always anticipating you know, when you're going to break the ice of seeing your first tiger. And to see this 
But this animal, uh, you know, it was just a very nice experience. But how do you track a tiger? Well, you don't just use your eyes, but also your ears. Listening to the forest environment provides many clues, as Minaxi Shuri, another of the guides, explained. Well, the first thing you would do when you start looking for a tiger is probably look for tracks and also keep your ears open and keep listening to all the calls that you hear. Robert has a lot of bird species which give out alarm calls and let you know if there's a predator around. So, yeah, ears and eyes. When we are tracking a tiger, one of the first signs we look out for is the track marks, is the pug marks. Tigers being nocturnal animals, they like to walk on the road at night quite a bit and they leave their trail marks for long distances. So that's a great sign you can pick up. You can make out from those marks, whether it's a male or a female, how long ago it, it's walked on that trail, what's it trying to do, is it trying to hunt, is it lucidly walking, very relaxed. And usually they like to walk long distances so you can follow that trail pretty clear. And then sometimes you can even make out if it's gone into the bush, if, if it's just come out from the water, there may be some drip marks and things like that. So that's one thing we look out for. The other thing is being a predator, it obviously startles or scares away all the herbivores. So deer calls, cheetah, sambar, monkeys, they are also start to get active at morning. So uh, all these animals which the tiger shares the jungle with, they alarm when they see a tiger. So you can make out what direction. Again, the intensity, the frequency of alarm can give you a pretty good indication if the tiger is actually there, how long ago it's gone. They also can smell it, so that's how you know their intensity would be of, of their voice. But also things like uh, peacock, red jungle fowl, tree pie, bird like tree pie. They can also give an alarm, so you can sometimes make out if the tiger is actually, you just uh, see a trail, it's gone inside a few meters and you can't see a tiger because the bush is pretty high. But there's a jungle fowl just scuffling across, alarming you know its life off probably there's a tiger there, so you just bide your time, wait for it uh, to move again, and sometimes you're lucky with the tiger coming out on the road again and seeing it. And it's not just the wildlife you need to listen to, but also the wind. And you run Jun again. You know, one very specific thing in our place, we say that in morning we have the eastern wind, and in the evening we have the western wind. It's a very, very specific, and uh, especially in the forest, because we say that the wind is uh, like, you know, bought by sun. When the sun is in the east, the wind is from the eastern side. When the sun is setting in the west, the wind comes from the western side. So the east wind and then west wind also like has a significance, because in forest, if you lost the direction, you can follow it up by the direction of the wind. If you eat in the morning, then you can follow, oh yeah, where the wind is blowing from the eastern side, I, where I have to go. You have, you get some ideas about it. Then in the evening also, you get the similar idea that, okay, now the wind is blowing from this side, must be the west, that side. So then you can find your direction. So these are the usual means without compass and other things in our area to find a direction and the significance of the sound and wind in the sultry area. But even with all this knowledge, tracking tigers is a challenge. On our first morning, we had barely gone more than a few kilometers when we were forced to stop by a pair of elephants grazing by the edge of the track. Usually elephants move away when a jeep approaches, but not these two. They were heading straight towards us. They 
Elephants are walking towards us, two large elephants striding purposely down the track towards us as we're making a rather inelegant retreat, reversing back down the track. So we just tried to sneak past this uh, bull elephant and unfortunately uh, <laughs> stalled the vehicle. The elephant turned and uh, we're retreating again. Two hours later, the elephants became tired of this game and wandered off the track. So we continued deeper into the sal forest. Sal trees are native to Southern Asia they have tall, straight trunks up to 35 metres and their green, almond-shaped leaves provide a dense canopy overhead. And where the sunlight does pierce the green canopy and strike down onto the forest floor, it layers these tiger-striped patterns on the forest floor and on the scrub. And it's very quiet windless day I can see piercing blue sky high above my head through gaps in the canopy I can hear the river nearby a few birds red vented bulbul perhaps really still and quiet but there's an edge to it, there's no real sense of calm. Looking into that undergrowth, you realise there could be anything in there. And I think for now, I'm going to get back in the Jeep. And from the safety of the Jeep, I listened, longing to hear a tiger roar. You think it's probably a big male tiger doing his territorial walk, warning others that he's on the prowl. Sometimes at a slightly lower pitch, the female will call if she's getting into her reproductive cycle in order to attract male tigers. And the cubs are in continuous communication with mother and they can squeak like a bird because they don't like disturbing the area or making other animals suspicious. So they go, beep, beep, beep. So sound is a vital part of all of what you do. I'm Chris Watson and we're exploring the sounds of the forest in Corbett National Park in India. What species are they? These are Hanuman langurs, or also called as black-faced monkeys. And they're feeding on zizipus berries. And it's not ripened yet, so that's how you can hear the crunching noise, um, crunching on the seeds. We can't wait to, to eat it to, before it gets ripe. <laughs> no, greedy. Deer congregate under troops of langurs because they find safety, because the langur is the first one to give the alarm call from his height, and then the deer get alert. But as soon as the deer are suspicious and they smell or see a tiger, they'll have their own call, like the spotted deer will go, Pow! 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 And then you'll have Sambar deer, which is the largest Asian deer, which will have a much 
deeper call. It's like, oh, oh. So all these calls you have to interpret and it'll tell you what's moving, how it's moving. And the most important are peafowl because our forests are full of the most beautiful peafowl everywhere. So when they see a tiger, they normally give a call and take off, try and fly away going poop, 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 poop. So it's a combination of all these things that leads you to tigers and then understanding tigers. Those who are living in the forest nearby like us, we understand that when the tiger or leopard comes, all these uh, monkeys and uh, the birds, they'll make sound, a very, very specific sound. We understand that, okay, some, someone is passing by, kind of someone very special passing by and we have to keep quiet and respect uh, that animal who is passing by, actually. And if you live here, you need to learn how to identify the sounds around you. Valmik Tapar again. It's something when you live in a forest, you get to know. The tiger does much the same thing, like if it hears, for instance, any sound of another scavenger, it could be a leopard bringing down another deer, the minute it hears the squeak of another deer, it will go to investigate that alarm because it means it could have found some food. So it's quite amazing. The eyesight and vision also spots vultures when vultures circle. And it'll look at the vulture in the sky and move in the direction of the vultures to see what they're circling over. Gradually, my ears became attuned to the sounds of the forest. Some mornings we were greeted by what sounded like rain, but in fact, it was dew falling from the leaves. And lots of birds, of course, including for me, the familiar sounds of house sparrows. And grey-headed woodpeckers. So we've just driven down in the jeep to the edge of a river. We're going to cross the river, aren't we? There's still a little bit of water in it. But there's some tracks down in the sand here. What, what are they, Harish? Oh, these are the tiger tracks. And look at the size, they're really big. And it looks like a male. And looking from the tracks, actually, you can make out it's a male or a female. Usually male tracks, the paws are really big and it's broad. And the toe marks are really splayed out. For female tracks, the whole pug mark will be much elongated, more like a rectangle, yeah. That's how you can make out it's a male or a female. And this looks like a male tracks. Good to see our first tracks, anyway. <laughs> yeah. We returned to the Jeep and carried on deeper into the forest. So we've just stopped dead in our tracks on the track. Tell us what's in front of the car. Now I'm sure you can make out it's beautiful tiger sitting right behind the bush. It's resting right now, it's actually it's closed its eye. Looking at the face looks like it's a male tiger. Looking at the face, on the side cheeks, they've got more fur, a big skull. And look at even, they've got such a bright color. Many times you can't even spot them. Look through binoculars. It looks like they have somebody has painted the animal. Beautiful. The appearance of a tiger is something which is magical. It's like sitting in a forest with a bit of green, a bit of yellow in the grass. Suddenly the grass moves and you have this amazing apparition that comes towards you, stripes merging black, white, tawny colored, 
walking in perfect symphony, every muscle rippling, a bit of light that catches the face of a tiger if it's the sun coming out in the morning or setting in the evening, just lights it up like, like something that you can't believe. It takes your breath away. It's like a dream. Beautiful, slow, fluid sense of movement. It's almost as if it's moving in slow motion. Yeah. I probably it's been active throughout the night and now it's time to settle down. So it's just quite relaxed. Resting here and there. You can see these sort of deep burnt oranges and black all over the coat and it's down its flanks and ear tufts and then as soon as it lies down. Even in that green undergrowth, it just disappears. Well, they, ju they can just vanish anywhere they want. They blend perfectly well. Just imagine how many tigers we would have missed from the morning drive already. Our local guides, of course, have seen tigers on many occasions, but the thrill of an encounter never dims. And as Ritesh told me, with experience, they can even learn to recognise individuals. We get to know some of the animals individually, some tigers who are dominant in some areas show up really well. Also, some of the cubs which have been born are a lot more in the open, so you do get to notice them a lot more, yes. And have you heard many tigers? Oh, yeah, yeah, we've, yeah, we've heard a lot of tigers. In fact, hearing a tiger is actually more special than seeing one a lot of times. My time in the forest was almost over. I'd learnt so much from my guides, Ritesh, Minakshi, Vrushal and Harsha Kadupapa, about the role of sound in understanding the forest and the life within it. Their skills had led us to an unforgettable encounter with a tiger. But there was still something I had yet to hear. The roar of a tiger. It's getting towards midnight and the end of our last day here in camp. And although I've been privileged to see a tiger, I've yet to record any calls. So I've come right up to the top end of our camp and I'm standing by a low stone wall on the boundary between our camp and the jungle, just a few meters out there. It's really dark, really still and quiet and I can see black fingers of the sal trunks reaching up into the night sky and a few pinpricks of stars through the canopy and I'm listening for any movement or sounds because I know there are tigers out there I'm Chris Watson and you've been listening to Living With Nature. If you put Living With Nature into your search engine, you'll be able to find the other parts of Chris Watson's series from the BBC World Service. I've also put a link to the series on the Off Track website. But you know, Chris isn't the only one out there recording amazing sounds. Off-track listener Christy Tate recorded what she called duck frogs at Mount Tambourine in Queensland. I think they're actually green tree frogs, Christy.
and Steve Jen recorded these ones in Woodbridge, Tasmania. And I think you've possibly got southern brown tree frogs there, Steve. Brett Campbell recorded these frogs after some rain in the Lower Hunter Valley with some happy sounding birds too. And I think they might be spotted marsh frogs, Brett. Clint Jasper recorded these ones in the Victorian Mallee. Spotted marsh frogs with some common eastern froglets, I think. I'm not a frog expert, I'm doing my best. Wherever you are, if you hear a wonderful sound, channel your inner Attenborough and make your own recording. Send it to me in an email, offtrack at abc.net.au. I'm Ann Jones, and I'll meet you with the Off Track Adventure Kit already packed at the same time next time. That's when I'll take you somewhere else. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.